Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And this is The Food Fight, a frank discussion of food culture featuring Australia's top chefs, producers, and experts. We'll chat about real issues and go places others won't. This podcast travels throughout the country and we acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we gather and speak. And we pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. This is another Stock Takes episode. We talk about 11 Madison Park going vegan, the new Chef Award, we revisit Anthony Bourdain's first article for The New Yorker and we're back on Bass Cheesecakes again. Mee lager, Vinci lager, Gareth lager, sometimes cider. So different drinks for different needs kind of. Mm, that's basically what we were uh, what we were getting at before, but that's uh, that's by the by. We're here for another stock takes episode of the Food Fight podcast, and uh, we're here to have some fun. Um, if peeps are unfamiliar with these stock takes episodes, um, it's basically where me and Simon talk about news in the food world and give our takes on them. We each will bring in a news item, food news. We'll also bring in something that we're noticing on Instagram and chat about that and also give a little hot tip at the end a little recommendation of how we can make our lives better in the world of mm. food um mm. and it's fun and if the audience wants to get involved why don't they instagram uh dm us some suggestions for uh news to be talking about what they want to hear our takes on mm. or, um, spicy articles we're also happy to if people want to sort of give us a bit of a, a comment on some of the things we say about these topics um, and DM us your opinions on these things, do so. And uh, we'll, we'll sort of revisit them in the next uh, in the next version of the Stock Takes podcast. So mm. plenty, plenty of opportunity to get involved. But we're here now, Simon. Let's, uh, let's get into it. What have you got for news this week? Um, what I wanted to talk about is there has been um, a little bit of a change to the uh, award wage for chefs. Um, this is something that was highlighted by lots of, uh, lots of people who were caught out underpaying staff. One of their, their biggest, um, you know, they weren't, weren't exactly blaming this for underpaying the staff as such, but this is one of the, the problems they had was the award was too, was too complicated, was uh, too convoluted, which... It is a little bit. So for those of you who aren't particularly aware of how the Chef Award works, there is a, a base salary, base base for hourly wage. And on top of that, there is um, you know, Saturday wage, uh, Sunday added added money. If you work past 10, 
you get more money um, if you work early hours in the morning. There's more money if you don't get a meal. There's an allowance for that. So there is. Um, it's not just working out this many hours, this much pay. You've then got to work out everything else. So it is a little bit of work for your HR, whoever does that. On the flip side, most of these guys caught underpaying staff probably had massive HR departments. So I'm not quite sure they're complaining about. Um, but the gist of it is um, for senior staff, um, they will get paid a higher wage and basically not get any of these subsidies. Um, so it was um, discussed with restaurant catering. So as an, uh, our mate Wes Lambert from restaurant catering had said some words in this. Um, so I can he came listen in to the one with Wes Lambert, um, previous guest of the podcast, mm. uh, head of restaurant and catering Australia. It's a good episode. Yep, continue, Simon. Yeah. Sorry, good little plug. So it's came in from the 11th of August, so pretty new. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a it's an attempt to. Um, flatten out and, and simplify the um, the award wages. Mm. Now, my argument is this is on top of the original award wage. Does that make it any simpler? Mm. So can you break it down? Can you break it down for us? Like how does it how how does it aim to simplify that? And you're talking about senior staff, but there's there's sort of a couple of different levels within this. Uh, new system as well when it comes to senior staff, depending on mm. your seniority. So can you sort of break down the specifics of it a little bit to give people an understanding? So there's, um, so for senior staff, I mean, this is laid out in various levels um, and different duties. So basically you get paid 170% of what the standard award wage is. Um, you can work up to uh, 56 hours, um, I believe. And um, there's some other, there is some subsidies then, um, which are just, just flat rates per hour, which you can add. Um, and then there's also some safeguards and safety nets built in. Um, it can be terminated within four weeks. You still have to be paid more than what you would on your normal wage. So a, a lot of it takes away the, the worrying about hours, which as kind of a senior chef is a bit of a worry when you're trying to keep yourself to 40 hours and you just, you just. You, there's no way you can sometimes. Um, mm. So you either don't do the work and keep yourself the hours or you do do the work and you don't get paid for it. So it, I think it's trying to meet a bit of that. But basically, if you're a senior, senior, senior chef, senior front of house, you'll get paid more per hour and you should get paid more overall. Um, and basically, you don't have to worry about hours, about uh, you know, taking your meal break, about you know, whether you're working past 10 on a Saturday, on a Sunday. So it's, just, it's very much evening it out. Right. And so did you say it's a 57 hour cap? Yes, I believe it so, is. So then high once 50s. You go over say it's 57 over 57 hours then then hour penal hourly penalties and stuff like that come back into effect. Yeah, so after after that hour cap then you are um on to, I think it's 190%, and then after over a certain more hours, it's 200% of the wage. So if you do go over 56 hours, which a lot of chefs still would, um, mm. you, you do get, um, you, you get, you get paid for it as well. So yeah. it's, it's, it seems like it's a good thing. It seems like it, it is simplifying it. Um, it is addressing some issues. Um, it's another layer, another thing to think about. So in that sense, and I think a lot of, a lot of critics would say and have been saying that. Um, it's just another way for employers to overwork chefs because for most people, for most most civilians, 
50 plus hours would seem excessive. Hmm. Um, not that unusual, though. No, not at all. Can I put it this way? Mm. If I, what does it look like? Like, let's say, for example, I was a sous chef mm -hmm. that was working time that wasn't getting paid appropriate penalties and things like that by a restaurant. Mm. Now this new award comes into effect and I work the 57 hours and, and things like that. Like, what's my salary remuneration look like? Like, I, I, I just want to make it absolutely clear so people understand it. Like, number one, what would it have looked like if people were getting underpaid as has historic or people were working these hours without these extra hours without being paid as is the historical sort of norm of the industry and what would they be getting paid if they were getting paid all the penalties and then what are they getting paid under this new award um for the same sort of number of hours of work so like say you know 57, 60 hours of work a week or something like that? Um, so, I mean, it kind of depends. If, if someone was paying you on the books, a lot of what the um, underpayment scandal was about was the the salary system. Yeah. So um, basically you get you got paid 20% um, over what you'd get paid if you were being paid hourly as a flat rate, plus all the, all the additions. Um, but that basically covered things like weekend rates, um, public holidays, and things like that. So there was, a lot of, there was a lot of confusion there that you could put a chef on a salary and then they could just work unlimited hours, which wasn't that wasn't the case. So, I mean, really, if if someone is underpaying you, this isn't going to make them pay you properly. Yeah. Okay. Um, realistically, so it, I, I don't think it's going to really help with actually forcing people to pay you properly. I think um, um, it it. it it may help a couple of those businesses, businesses do it because it's it's all built in with the amount of hours you do. But um, I mean, it, it's I think the the minimum on this new rate is pretty high. I think it's it's something like eighty five, eighty five thousand a year. Um, so which which is a, a maybe a, a around a head chef level, yeah. Um, or in the city, maybe maybe sous chef level. Um, so it's but I mean it, it's actually. It's, it's almost under the average wage for uh, hedge, like high-profile head chef jobs uh, in Sydney or Melbourne. So it, it might be aimed, you know, it might actually help regional chefs um, a little bit more to help kind of bump their wage up. Um, mm. I was trying to find what the minimum would be, but it, I mean, it would, it would it would make quite a difference. Um, like if if they'd rather pay, I guess it could be the difference in you know, in ten thousand dollars a year. Um, yep. if, if they're complying. So I think the problem is it doesn't really help too much with compliance. Yeah, right. So do you think do you think it does simplify things? And do you think that, like, on balance, this is, uh, you know, a positive moving forward for the industry that's that's sort of solving some of the problems that, that we've been talking about? So I think um, the, the original, so it's only for senior staff members. <clears throat> Yeah, and you can either opt in as an individual individual staff member, or if seventy five percent of your senior staff agree to it, you can implement it across the board, but not for junior workers. So if you've got you know five commies and, and five senior staff, you're, you're you're now adding an extra award wage 
albeit a slightly simpler one, you're adding an extra an extra layer to it. So I'm not sure how much simpler that makes it in that in that context. It is a 12 month trial, and I would be interested to see whether they roll this um, method out across the board. Because if it was if it, if it was this across the board and there was slightly different layers for junior staff, senior staff, I think overall it would be a boost and it would simplify it. Right now, I think with both levels, it doesn't go quite far enough to simplify it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because it's kind of just adding another layer. I guess it might simplify it if they do run it across the board for all their senior staff in a restaurant mm. with um, a lot of employees. But if you've got you know, six chefs and four of them don't go on the new system and two of them do and then you've got all yeah. your junior staff and things like that. It's not necessarily a simplification. Yeah. But I do think, like, I guess the one, I basically just think that a, ra a raise in the standard salary for chefs tends to be a good thing. Like, yeah. Because I think that just historically there was just so much unpaid hours. Like, whether or not a business was trying to get it right, I just reckon chefs just always did so many more fucking hours than th they were paid for, that th mm. than they have been paid for. And just so just the security of like, you know, depending on where you are, as you mentioned, this is not really reflective of like a high-end restaurant in the city type sort of decent salary and stuff like that but for definitely in regional areas and things the security of having a higher salary does a lot of things like it helps mm -hmm. a lot of people you know like if you want to go out and buy a house having $85,000 as your salary is a lot better than having $60,000 as your or $70,000 as your salary but you make the rest up in penalties yeah and stuff yeah like yeah. you know that sort of thing so I think that that does provide that that sort of like little safety net and security mm. thing. I think that I do you think that how realistic do you think it is that like once these like if this new award is implemented to across the board at a restaurant to all their senior staff, how realistic is it uh, like as you said, say fifty seven hours is not uncommon and over sixty over seventy hours is common. Do you think that like owners and things like that, now that they've got these staff on like a a new, you know, perhaps potentially uh, higher base salary, will be more willing to like stringently pay the penalties that come after the fifty-seven hours? Um, I doubt it. In, in, yeah. in, I mean, in some way, some people, if if, if people are. You know, if you've got reputable employers and they're paying people properly, then yes. But I think what might happen is that, um, and I think I think I think to start with, this will be basically uh, for head chefs. So most 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 businesses will put their head chef on this one, so they can do you know as many hours as they need to. Everyone else will be on the old award. So I think um, for some employers, it will be well, we're paying you this extra amount. Um, we're not paying you any anything over. When you do over fifty-seven hours, we've already given you a raise. So why why are we going to pay you, you know, more when you go over your fifty-seven hours? So there is there is the chance of that happening mm. um, in the future. So the, the, again, and, and that's that that comes down to a compliance issue, and this hasn't isn't really seen that. But I think I mean the, the positive thing is um, 
a lot of high-profile chefs, like Neil Perry, George Clombaris, um, some of those bigger, bigger companies who underpaid staff, they all came out and said this was the problem, that it was too complicated for their massive HR team to deal with. Um, <laughs> and even though, um, you know, lots of other, lots of other places were doing it properly. Yeah. Um, so I think the, um, they came out and said this is the problem. Restaurant and catering have listened to that. Uh, gone to the government and said we think this this will help and they've implemented it so th- there's a great line of communication from hospitality um through restaurant catering to the government which is good to see well cool um it's a it's an interesting one and like if we can put out a call to action to the uh audience if you're a chef and you've bec- uh like you know your your boss or if you're an owner and you're actually you're looking at participating in this new award we'd love to hear about Mm. the experience and about whether I, would, or not- I would like to know as well if who had actually heard of this because it wasn't that well reported yeah um, no i agree it hasn't been well so reported. I, w- I would like to know any uh staff or any owners if you had or hadn't actually heard of this yeah so hit us on our instagram dms just at the food fight podcast if you've had an experience with this at award and we'll sort of share some experiences in the next time we do a stock takes episode uh and there's also a you know, a pretty comprehensive article in the Australian Financial Review about this new award if you haven't heard of it and uh, you want some more information about it. So, mm. cool. All right, mm. that's a good one to start off with, Simon. That's an interesting, very uh, hospo world hospo world one. Mm. Bringing you the hospo world let's, uh, to, your, to let's, your living rooms. Let's move on to a little bit more of a broad-reaching uh, mm. item which goes back to May of this year uh and that's when 11 madison park decided that they will be doing a fully plant-based uh menu at their world's world number one multi-award winning best 53 michelin Mm. star Uh, art deco Deco dining new york (laughs) dining uh swiss swiss head chef chef. caviar bumping caviar bumping (laughs) It's institution, New York institution. So, mm. um, huge move, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the, the interesting thing is when you when we were talking about what we're going to talk about today, and you suggest this, I had literally just read a uh, review from ETA um, about Eleven Madison Park, specifically about um, them changing, um, and it's pretty spicy and scathing. So let's get let, let's get to that review in a sec, and I've pulled a few. Uh, things from that review but let's talk about a bit more generally right so Daniel Mm. who is the chef at 11 Madison Park uh, has talked about like one of the rationales he did a post in May on his Instagram page um, you know announcing this move and essentially it's about uh, a change in direction for them but centered around the idea that our current food system isn't sustainable mm. and in order for things to change that takes leadership from uh from you know top tier organizations like 11 madison park um some of the other things you know that they talk about is challenging themselves in a new space and um you know the you know creating uh, opulence and indulgence out of 
out of out of vegetables and things like that and putting vegetables on on a different type of pedestal as what they'd sort of previously been on and things like that um so yeah like there's a, a few different rationales but i guess the first first thing that that i find a little bit strange is i think the world would that our environment would probably would would on balance be better off if it were completely vegan right like our, our, if 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 everyone ate vegan on balance as compared to what it is now with mm. with factory farming and all those sorts of things um our environment would probably be better off if everyone ate plant based or mostly plant based but i think that like kind of just saying that our food system is broken and our response to this is that we're going to make our menu completely vegan might mm. sort of miss some of the nuances of our food system in general. Yeah, I, mean, and, I think it's some of the some of the the roles that animal products have to play in mm. a environmentally sustainable food system. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, the the, the evidence. If we all went vegan, there there's some. It, it's not like everything would be rosy and, and no, of fix course everything. Not. I was just saying yeah, in comparison with what we're doing yeah. now. There, there's issues in itself. So I think um, as with a lot of things, you get two very binary sides of an argument um, and likely the the realistic aim and, and possibly the best one. I mean, of the you know, people we've spoken to about how animals can can really help regenerate soil, that somewhere in, in between. So we, we definitely eat, need to eat less meat, less food, uh, less fish, more veg, more fruit. That, that, that's undeniable. Um, so that, that, this is my problem with the, the statement that our food system's broken. We're going vegan. Um, is that it's it's not really realistic to how we're going to fix these problems? Yeah. Um, and on top of that, it's once again it's it's high profile chefs uh, always thinking they can change the, their restaurant is so relevant to the world that it will change the world with them going vegan and charging <laughs> charging five hundred dollar dues for it. Um, what are what like I mean? What what are your first impressions? Like, what's your because I mean, this is a stock takes episode, and it's it's about us giving our takes. But like, what was your first impression when you first heard that Eleven Madison was going to go vegan? I mean, yeah, like I thought that I saw the rationale. And it was like our oh, food systems are broken, and I, I don't actually I disagree that they're broken, but not that going fully vegan and plant based is is the way forward. Um, I think as a kind of but intellectual, do you, do you see it as? Did you see it as like a I don't know. I, don't he, know. I mean, he, he seems he seems like he truly he see he, like when you see a video of him. I haven't met him. I do sort of know someone who worked for him. Um, he seems earnest and he seems honest. And definitely is. It, it doesn't doesn't seem like a like an arsehole. And and he and he. I mean, during lockdown in, in New York, you did did you know turn the restaurant to make you know, uh, meals for for people in need. And he seems like a genuine good dude. So I don't think he's being um, an arsehole to it. I think he genuinely believes this is the way to go. Um, I disagree with something is reasoning. Um, but I, I do like the idea of trying to find luxury in vegetables and in, in plant-based products. So I, I like that idea, and I think from a, a chef, chefy intellectual pursuit, that that is relevant. Mm. Um, and so, so, I, so I've been interested to see what he was going to do mm. with the food. That that was my main thing. I was I was like, oh, okay, it's another chef being 
being a little bit over dramatic and being like, you know, we, we need to take a stand as a, that's as what a, I mean. It's a, like, it's almost like, yeah. I mean, basically it's almost just sort of like this virtue signal that it's like, mm. it's so important that it's, it's our responsibility as high, high profile chefs to try yeah. the world about how our food system could be better. And like, there's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that, but I don't know. There's just something about I think, like uh, it's chefs taking con- themselves so seriously yeah. that, like, that they think that that. I mean, look, there's nothing wrong with it, and I guess it's cynical as well. And the, and the person that I look to when it comes to like the the most awesome in terms of a high profile chef is Dan Barber in the way that he in in what he's done throughout his whole career and has committed mm. his whole career to is like his absolute like deep understanding and connection to the food system and how it operates yeah. and 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 how blue hill and all the different um subsidiaries of that organization can help with it like but like i don't know i just it's just for 11 madison park to just announce this yeah. new direction as 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 you know well this new, this uh, i don't know this may just be my ignorance but i haven't seen him come out or an article about the farms that he's getting any of this produce from and surely if you want to make the biggest change, like what Dan Barber's done, is gone that step back to look at the farming methods and how we can do them better. And that, that's really where the change is going to come. I, like, and even, even in the Eater Review, I'm not sure if they, they just didn't include it, but there was nothing about where any of the food came from, the farming practices that, that, that this food had grown under, um, the miles it's, tra- it's traveled, all these things. So I think it's like, and he's quoted as saying that he had this idea, then he went in the kitchen and played around with some things and thought, we can change the world. Oh god! <laughs> and like, and it's like I just think, like, do this, great. Like, it's you know, it's great media. Um, it's great, great hype. It's probably great for your chefs and yourself to push yourselves to do this. But don't act like you're changing the world. Just be, just be earnest about it and be like, look, it's a small step. You know, we're a restaurant that serves a couple of thousand people a year. We're going to do this to make a little statement. If it changes, then great. But yeah, you know, it's, it's put yourself like, in context. I think that yeah, it's it's. I mean. It's almost like it's just this assumption that everyone in the world knows or cares about 11 Madison Park. Yeah. And, like, that's such a fucking food bubble mentality when it comes to any type of, you know, action, like environmental action or whatever. It's like, mm. like, like, mate, 90% of my friends, if I said to them, did you know 11 Madison Park's going vegan? They'd be like, what the fuck's 11 <laughs> Ma- What the fuck is 11 Madison Park? You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. uh, it's just us and people that are really into food who care about like like I mean maybe it's different in, if you live in New York and maybe it's different again if you live in the United States and mm. it's definitely different again if you live in Australia. But um yeah, I don't know. Like and I don't know. I kind of I kind of also thought like my first impression was like I mean I guess we've got a, we've got a lot of awesome restaurants here in Australia that have been championing vegetables and we've done podcasts with people who have a huge plant-based focus in their cooking and stuff like that there's places like yellow in sydney and um you know other other venues that are really like vegetable forward and like i think when was it was it in 2001 when arpege went to yeah a, a, a plant-based menu and other restaurants have done it and like this conversation has been going for a long time and other venues have been doing this sort of thing for a long time, whether it's at a fine dining capacity or um, 
just people, you know, really, really championing veggies and things like that. And so it's it sort of almost came at this awkwardly late moment for me where it was like, yeah, I kind of know that like vegetable, like there's all this potential in vegetables to unlock, you know, like the, the way that the way that it's talked about is like, oh, we're we're gonna finally unlock the potential of vegetables and things like that. And of course, yes, possibly. Like you might, you know, find some interesting techniques and things like that with the resources and time that you have at Eleven Madison Park to to do these things, and you might come up with some amazing techniques and contribute to the pool of knowledge and all those sorts of things. But I don't know. It was just, it was just like people are already kind of doing this. Like, mm, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 has, has, it has been done in a high profile three mission star restaurant before. Um, mm. But I mean, it's it's America. It's the, it's the center of the world to to Americans, especially. Um, so when they do something, it's it's the first and it's the best and it's the biggest. So yeah, it's 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 interesting. I think it's it's as a pursuit. It's great if people are uh, it's it's people are happy to pay that much money for vegetables, well, because that's always a problem. I'm not, not not saying that people shouldn't pay this money for veg. Veg good veg is expensive and can be as expensive as meat. Mm. But people have definitely had um, issues with with price connected to uh, vegetarian and vegan dishes. Well, we'll get to that in a second because that's a funny one because, um, you know, the price hasn't changed. Mm. Um, but I wanted to, some of the, like, so after, like, through reading some of these reviews and stuff like that, maybe we just quickly uh, outline a couple of these cool, interesting dishes and things like that. There's this uh, one that one that looks fantastic is this... Um, sunflower butter sunflower butter dish with with, mm. with bread there's a vegan caviar which is um tomburi seeds yeah. there's, there's a big a big red trend. pepper and swiss chard wraps uh there's vegetarian doses uh and elderflower and blueberry desserts and things like that all mm. very much done in the traditional 11 madison park style minimum minimum minimally plated and very sleek and 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 beautifully presented and things like that. So it looks beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I think the one that's caught a lot of people's eyes the the caviar dish, which is mm. a um, it was a type of seed I think I haven't really heard of before. Um, and then once he once cooked it, very much looks kind of like a beluga caviar. Um, the it, it does seem like they are they're hanging a lot of stuff on trying to make vegetables represent meat. Which I think here and there is fine, but uh, it's a, it's sort of a it's a slightly weird way to go rather than just kind of this you know this is a parsnip or this, this is a beetroot rather than like this beetroot tastes like duck. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Mm. Like, and I've always found that an odd one as well. I don't know. It'd be yeah. interesting to talk to someone else about that, like because yeah, I mean, like, why do why do we have to cook like this is this is meat-free chicken and it's like yeah, well, if the yeah. goal is to not eat meat then why are you selling it as chicken sort yeah. of thing um but that's a that's a whole different conversation but um mm. simon why don't you why don't you dive a, like quickly into this into this eater article uh because it it does it does sort of like after you know well actually no before we go there mm. here's a question for you Mm. If you were in New York, would you want to go to Eleven Madison Park and pay five hundred Australian dollars for for a vegetarian tasting menu? 
or would you choose to go somewhere <laughs> different that serves meat? Um, I mean, like, there's there's so many restaurants <laughs> in New York to go to. Then it probably even even with previous menus, it maybe wouldn't be the top of my list to go to. Like, it would be you'd probably I think if, I, if you're in New York, you'd probably pick one of the kind of classic three three star places to go to and try and go to the cooler places um so i mean it would be among those ones i guess with uh so like if someone if someone gave you if someone gave you a, a, a 500 dollar voucher <laughs> to go to any restaurant in new york would um, it be I, 11 madison parks vegan tasting menu prob probably not even like like i mean May, may, like if talking about me, if I went to New York and I had 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 this uh, three Michelin star voucher, um, being that Thomas Keller was like the first famous chef whose book I bought when I was a young chef, and I was like, oh my god, look at that! I would be taking my money to per se yeah. to have the to have the dishes they've had on for twenty years. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I, I've got no problem paying for paying for vegetables. Mm. Um, and it looks 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 amazing, and like from everything I've heard, the service has almost always been what makes Eleven Madison Park anyway. Mm. Yep. So um, yeah, like it's, I, I wouldn't be against it, but possibly not my first protocol. Here's the would question. It, yeah. The question be would it have been your first port of call if it wasn't a vegan menu? Well, probably not as well. So that's right. Um, that's that's the main thing. See, I'm I'm going to say that. If someone gave me a voucher to a three Michelin star restaurant in New York, mm. pre-vegan, um, it might have been Eleven Madison Park. Mm. Post-vegan, I kind of just don't think so anymore. Mm. Interesting. And I don't know, and I, I don't know. Maybe this just, I don't know. Look, I, can't, I, like, look, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's. If I'm spending it's fine. It's fine. I find it weird that I find it difficult to admit that it like if I if I want to go to a really awesome restaurant, I really want to eat some seafood and I really want well, to eat well, some yeah. meat and stuff like that yeah. too. Like, I think you like, if you if you're going to one of these places and you're spending you know the best restaurants in the world and you're spending all this money, like I I probably want some foie gras. Yeah, like, I, probably, yeah, I, yeah. I, I want I want I want a bump of caviar. Yeah, I fucking fill my hand up with caviar and I'll just bury my face in it. Like that's because that's kind of the point in some ways. So. Um, I doubt he'll like. He's not going to, you know, not have people in the restaurant. I'm sure we filled up. Well, that's it. That the it's, that that Eater article says that the wait list is fifty. Like there's fifty thousand yeah. people on the wait list. So yeah. whether or not they're vegan, they're gonna they're I, gonna be fully booked for yeah. the foreseeable future. So exactly. Yeah. Good luck. So it's an interesting one. Um, I've, this. Uh, I just want to let's let's go through. Let's just quickly hit this uh, Eater article because <laughs> basically. There's a few articles out there. Uh, some have been overwhelmingly positive. Some have been, uh, you know, a, a bit in the middle, and some have been overwhelmingly negative. And it's just interesting. This uh, this eater article basically just talks about how, uh, you know, like the service. They're very complimentary about the service. Think that the service is awesome, uh, and but however, they just say that essentially there's just not enough flavor in a lot of the food like yeah. it's just it's just not as impressive and as interesting as it, yeah. as they expected it to be so here's a quote while there's something to be said for not making a big deal each time 
the kitchen tweezers and non-Western herb, Eleven Madison's cosmopolitan aspirations often seem less smart acts of representation or creative culinary manipulation and more like a window dressing or homogenization. Or in the case of an Instagram post where Hum performs a namaste post behind a pile of spices, visual pandering <laughs> to stereotypes. For all the funk, heat, numbing sensations, bitterness and fermented tang that so many cuisines can imbue on upon vegetables, Hum's flavours often feel as muted as a steakhouse crab cake. See, I think the, the, the article's good. It was scathing in some parts. In some parts, it was like, like I mean, very much an American written article and um, the, the difference between you know, the UK, Australia and America in the way the journalist review is actually quite interesting. Um, I, I think they, they, they didn't need to be quite so scathing with some of the, the put downs. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I, thought, I thought it was fairly balanced. Um, <clears throat> the, um, the, the two bits that I've highlighted, um, the, the main one was that there's, this, there's this beetroot that's been hyped up and it's cooked in 18 odd ways. Um, and the article says the beet cooked 18 ways tasted like pretty much any other beet, a reality that's tough to digest when you have to put down a massive non-refundable deposit to find that out. And that mm. seemed to sum up the article for me. Um, and then, I mean, the other part, which then the, 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 which preceded that sentence was um, hum based on a mid-August meal doesn't yet appear to fully possess the palate, acumen or cultural awareness to successfully manipulate vegetables or when necessary to let them speak for themselves. Mm. Like that's that's fucking harsh. That is really really harsh. That's really hard. I think that that's that brings the article down a bit, in my yeah. opinion. Um, when, yeah, like, unnecessarily harsh. Yeah, because th- like that's like, it's like wow. You, you don't don't speak about a man's acumen, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you, you know, like the, the, there's an eggplant dish that they say is basically the the eggplant dish of the century. Um, mm. You know, like a bunch of things. Uh, including the service and that sort of stuff, you know, huge props too. But yeah, in general, it's a pretty harsh article. Mm. Um, Simon, this may be a stupid question, but like in a restaurant like 11 Madison Park, who were serving foie gras, caviar, lobster, uh, and all these high-priced ingredients with absolute reckless abandon, um, do food costs make make a difference in the bottom line? Do you go completely vegan? Like, does that does that matter? For, because, like, I don't know. To, yeah. Like, it might not be it might not be much, but does it make a difference? Like, and 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 this is just out of interest. I'm not saying yeah, that it's anything to do with their motivations. A restaurant, a restaurant like that, your, your biggest cost is your staff. Like, they, they would have you know thirty odd chefs, you know twenty people on the floor. Um, multiple senior members, so that doesn't change when when you you work with vegetables and that's your main cost. Yes, um, yeah, caviar, foie gras is is an expensive ticket item. So I imagine there, if I mean, the the, the price hasn't changed at all. Is it is it is it just is it the no. same as it was? I'm not, I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, I imagine their 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 margins are a, a little bit wider, but. I, I don't restaurants like that very very rarely make much money anyway. They're normally the um, the playground of rich investors, um, and the, the money's made on the back of the the name and other venues and the chef um, as much as the restaurant. So 
uh, it doesn't really matter. And yeah, you're paying for the experience. Um, you're paying for the the staff and the attentiveness. So whereas people might say that it should have dropped in price because it's just vegetables, that's not really where the cost is running a restaurant, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, I and yeah, I, I'm not ignorant to that, and I understand that. And Daniel Hume talks about how it's obviously not a financially based decision, which it clearly isn't. But I just wonder, yeah. like, if you think about the volumes and the types of ingredients that um. 11 Madison Park have historically used whether or not that that puts a dent in anything or is just you know mm. irrelevant essentially yeah. um but yeah look i think that like overall impressions i think i've sounded a little bit negative when talking about it but i think that it's very interesting and i think that like one really cool thing is when chefs at, at the at the level of Daniel Hume, uh, don't rest on their laurels and continue to try to challenge themselves because I think that it seems as if this decision is just as much a, you know, decision about the food system and, you know, a new direction for 11 Madison Park as it is a decision for Daniel Hume to challenge himself and learn more about different ingredients and, mm. and, and, and how to use them and things like that, which I think is the mark of a really good chef, like, to just continue continue to challenge oneself and 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 to do that with the ultimate uh the ultimate you know w do it in the ultimate way which is to completely restrict the ingredients that you can use mm -hmm. so i think that that's really cool and you know it will have an impact uh there will be people out there who you know gain some sort of education about our food system via this move by 11 madison park and um is contributes to the conversation about our food system that we need to have mm. uh so positive positive um am i going to rush to 11 madison park to spend my my 500 australian dollars on food when i get to new york i think i'm with you i think i'm going to per se <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're coming for you thomas keller cool all right do you want to move on yeah, um, so my little internet-based article uh, tidbit was that um, uh, New Yorker magazine did a bit of, bit of a bit of a New York theme this week for some reason. Um, just just re republished, reposted Anti Bourdain's first published article uh, from two thousand. Um, yeah. uh, it's entitled "One Day and One Night in the Kitchen at Les Halles." It's a restaurant he worked at, um, and. Re, I've, re I've read it before, rereading it just very much sums up why he was so enjoyed by chefs. He had a, a real knack for summing up the, the monotony and craziness of the kitchen in a way that, that made it absolutely fascinating. Um, mm. And he, even down to the, like, it might just be me in the way I read it, but like the, the pacing of, of, the, of the article as well just feels like the pace of a oh. kitchen day. Exactly. And it just and it's it's just so, it's so well written and it just and it um, it's so interesting and, and still is kind of so inspiring to see that um, the one the one thing when I mean almost when reading anything or watching anything from uh, you know ten twenty years back is, is you realize the little things that have changed um, and my thoughts is my thoughts are should I encourage my younger chefs to read an article like this when it does um, highlight the the angry stereotypical chef who's barking at people who, um, you know, is is probably drunk on the job. I mean, the, the first line of the article is 
On Friday morning, I wake up at 5.55 while I brush my teeth and take my first aspirins of the day. Mm. So, um, and, you know, then it goes on to, um, you know, one point he's, uh, what the fuck is going on, I say, as Omar slouches in the doorway like a convict in exercise yard. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's him, like, you know, ripping his staff, shouting at people, uh, shouting at suppliers, uh, and getting drunk on the job. Um, and which, you know, was a, is a experience a lot of chefs have had. But, yeah, how, how much reverence should we be put into these people? So, same with, you know, old videos of Marco, old videos of Gordon that, that you know, every kitchen still quotes and still laughs at. Um, you know, should we be encouraging young chefs to, to read these articles? Yes, I, I think definitely because, like, if you can preface it with this was 20 years ago and I'm not saying that this is a good way to behave right now, but... Mm. I've I've had experience in kitchens like this. Um, it does make is sensational, and it does make people sound like a rock star. But it's a good read, and like mm. I, I highly encourage, like I highly encourage any the our listeners to to go out and read it. It's in the New Yorker. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the pacing of the article. It is just like it just it made me feel as if I was back in a kitchen during mm. service. Like yeah, yeah. I was just like. I was just like, fuck, like, that's what it's like. That is what life is like. And it ends with him in a dingy dive bar, drinking a beer. Like, oh, there's so many, there's so many aspects of aspects yeah. of the article that are so relatable. And yeah. it's, it, it is a pleasure to read as someone who's worked in kitchens and worked in hospitality and things like that. I love the reference to uh pre-dinner tasting where mm. he talks about the way that uh waiters eat the food that he puts out on the table like <laughs> vultures scraping things from bones it's like a disgusting sight which is hilarious because i used to do i used to think the same thing when we had pre-dinner tastings um at, you know the the last restaurant or two that i worked at where like it comes out to the customer as this beautifully presented thing over an elegant meal with fantastic service and things like that but serve it to the wait waiters and and tell them about it it's just all put on one fucking plate and everyone's just digging into it by hand just like just three pointer chicken bones across the room into the bin like <laughs> like while you know downing double espressos before service starts and things like mm. that it's like relatable and 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 yeah yeah really really cool really really puts yeah. you puts you in the middle of a kitchen in a busy service yeah yeah i think like the, the, the first mm. after after basically the story after he wakes up the first thing is he's thinking about specials um mm. and and you can just see the the thought process in, in his head um about and it's, it's the things you, you just don't know unless you're a chef which is why you know people outside hospitality were, were fascinated by it. people inside hospitality were like i've never read someone talk about you know someone thinking about how they're going to lay out dishes because this has got to come off this section. That's going to come off this section and they're going to get fucked if they've got one more dish. So maybe we can do that off that. And you know, how, how a dish in, in, a, in most kitchens actually comes together is logistics as much as, as, as much as artistry. That's another thing. Yeah. That's another unique thing about this article is that you, a lot of people who haven't worked in kitchens probably have never thought about this logistical, constant logistical battle that goes, mm. that goes with writing a menu. So um, yeah, that's a fascinating and related yeah. so, yeah. aspect as well. Uh, one one day and one night in the kitchen, Les Hallies. It was uh, New Yorker magazine just re reposted. It. It's available to read. So I think yeah, have it to read. But I think got to put in context of kitchens have changed since then, and 
as much as it's entertaining and it's relatable, it's it's not the uh, the model that we we want to see too much of anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, you can just put like I think we just need a new slogan for uh for the industry, like chefs in particular, especially senior people who are telling people what to do, and you know, um, which is just don't be a dick. Like, don't, like, just don't be a dickhead. I've seen what it's like in the Caveau kitchen during service and things, and it's a great, it's a nice environment. It's a, mm. Like, it's a very nice environment, obviously. Yes, saps will happen. You won't get your order. Your fridge will break, and you, you'll have staff members who don't know what they're doing. Um, but, and, and, you know, it might cause you to occasionally lose your cool a little bit even. But in general, just keep that sort of don't be a dick mantra um and you know read these articles for the for the fun that yeah. they are and be a beer stein <laughs> filled with margarita to take off the edge of the adrenaline is is not a uh, <laughs> a healthy way to deal with it exactly yeah yeah no it's a good one mm. uh so my instagram uh thing is the last time we did a, a small bites because basically like I am almost predicting that Basque cheesecake is going to be the same viral sensation as whatever that Angam style. What was the feta? No, what was the feta pasta that people were making oh, on TikTok yeah, or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Where like where like supermarkets were selling out of feta because everyone <laughs> wanted to make this viral feta pasta dish. Yeah, has, has it? Is it? I mean, I guess it's it's been a chefy thing, but it seems to be leaking into the mainstream. Oh yeah, don't worry. Um, I mean, and don't. and like, are we are we saying that we helped that happen? Because you know, you know, good good food seems to be uh, copying our bit of our content here. What have we seen in good food on Basque cheesecakes? I think it was Jill Dupuy doing a a a whole article about how to make one, and this yeah, is you so- know, a, a week after we discussed them, so. Yeah, and we know that Jules a listener, so exactly. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. You, you do them. Yeah, yeah. You work it out. <laughs> um, yeah, and like I don't know, I don't know. I just find it funny because, like, for listeners, Simon and I have you know a messenger chat constantly going, and basically each time either I or Simon see a Basque cheesecake on Instagram, we screenshot it and send it to one another. And since two weeks ago. Uh, when we did our last, you know, um, stock takes podcast, we've we've done another. We, there's been another at least ten yeah. or something like I reckon, that. I reckon right? it's, it's up to one a day. I send you. Yeah, <laughs> so close like to. That. <laughs> I reckon we're at a, a Basque cheesecake a week. Yeah, like, yeah. and that's just that, that's just the Instagram pages that we follow between us. Mm. You know, so what I mean? God knows what else is happening. So viral, viral, like, and I think that you know the old Basque cheesecake. Give it its credit. It's a tasty dish. It's, it's it's got this kind of nice Spanish roots. Um, mm. It's and it's it's so fucking easy to make, and I think that's what it might give it give. Oh, and it's very mm. uh, visually appealing. I think like yeah, it looks yeah, sexy. Yeah, yeah, this burnt sort of cracked thing, um, heaps of baking paper and stuff like that. Yeah, good. but uh, maybe when we're out of lockdown, we'll go and go and try some of the best ones. So if you've got a favourite, if you've tried uh, some of the many in 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 Sydney, let us know your favourites, and we uh, we might go try them. Yeah, well, I mean, you're not going to have to look far to find one. Like no. so, so can't, open Instagram. Can't, can't, buddy, can't get off the central line without stepping in one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Soon there'll just be bass cheesecakes just 
I don't know. It'll be, it'll be, be like bubble tea. It'll be like bubble tea shops in in, in, in <laughs> Sydney. Just just these Basque cheesecake shops. Yeah, yeah. Viral. One. Viral. Mm, so anyway, tell us what you think and uh, send us in your favourite ones. I'm not, like mm. I don't know. I don't actually have access to Basque cheesecake on the uh, south coast, so I'm going to have to make mm. my own. Mm. Do it. Do it. See how we go. Um, All right. Um, wrapping up. Let's let's yeah. give our let's give our tips and hot tips. You want to start? Mm. Uh, yeah, well, it's spring now, and the weather's real nice. And spring means asparagus is starting to come in. Yeah, and us like local grown asparagus is the best thing. It's it's like you can buy it all year round, but for eight months a year it's shit. And now you've got like four months where it's going to be good. So get some asparagus, get your barbie dusted off because the sun's out most of the time now, and. Peel a little bit of the skin from your asparagus and barbecue them, and then why, thank peel me- the, why are we why are we peeling the skin? Because uh, like that bottom part of skin is just a bit tough. So when you when you even when you barbecue it, that just goes a bit chewy and stringy. Even so you after just, you've broken off the woody bit, yeah, yeah, just just peel like two three inches from the top from the tip. Just peel that away very lightly, and you, you'll you'll just just thank me later. All right. So and and so well, that's your number one tip for asparagus in spring is on the barbecue. Yeah, yeah, it's great on the barbecue. Just from raw, just like give it a little bit of color. It just adds that that bitter to the the sweet vegetal taste of it, and it's done. Anything else on it? Or just just well, bit of salt and pepper. Bit, bit of salt and pepper, like the this kind of the classic uh, prosciutto wrapped asparagus. Although it's oh, yeah. a classic and a bit of a bit of a cliche, it's fucking delicious. Yep, that's a good one. That with a poached egg, some greens. Yep, lovely, nice. All right, my um, my hot tip is well, yours is a vegetable. My uh, my hot tip is buy cabbages. Yeah, <laughs> because so basically, I'm just like I bought a cabbage. I don't know, good couple did, of weeks ago. Good did it up? It's worth ten pounds now. I tell so. you what, man, cabbages are the most underrated vegetable. Like, I mean, mm. chefs out there probably know this and stuff. But number one, I don't know. Any vegetables that last as well in the fridge as mm. like I swear to God, a cabbage will last at least a month in the yeah. in the in the crisper at yeah. least. All and you need to do is just cut a bit of the brown shit off it, and then you're yeah. you're through to you're through peel to a couple of cabbage. Peel a couple of leaves away, and you're in Tasty yeah. Town. You're in Tasty Town. Yeah, um, it is good for that. And then if, and even even when you get even when you get to the last little quarter and it's looking shitty. You can just salt it, leave it out for a night, and make some sauerkraut or shawkrut. Exactly. You can make sauerkraut. You can make like, like that's the versatility. You can get the sauerkraut root, go the kimchi root with cabbage. Mm. You will you never, never it. waste a cabbage. You'll never waste a cabbage because it'll never go off. You'll always have yeah. something to do. Like yeah. you know, when you've got it there, like if you've got bugger all food in the fridge, then you can, you know, it can be the base of a salad, like a like a lettuce might be or something like that, like. You can make coleslaw super easily. You can roast, you know, you mm. can roast whole wedges of cabbage, which are delicious. The other night I made, and this was this was great. I I always get just inspired to make something by something I, I see at the uh, at the supermarket at the at the you know grocer supermarket butcher wherever mm. I am. Um, I was in the IGA down the road, and they had these white uh, white pork sausages, and I was like, maybe mm. I'll buy these white pork so these vice versed. And make some sausages with like German style trimmings. So I made I, I made the sausages with uh, braised cabbage, 
like sweet and sour braised cabbage, and I made some uh, kartoffelknödel, some uh, <laughs> <laughs> some 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 German German potato dumplings with with a little nice. uh, speck and breadcrumb crumble over the top of it, and it mm. was it was a fuck and with some mustard, mate. That was a delicious yeah. dinner, a bit of a German. Did you wear lederhosen or no? Nah? No, I didn't wear lederhosen. <laughs> no, I didn't no, have no. my I didn't have my lederhosen. <laughs> Down here on the south coast oh, with me, I would have brought. I would have brought it. Back and for all. Yeah, it. that's what I usually would have cracked it out, <laughs> but unfortunately, I didn't. So we just had to drink some beer and uh. Mm. But fucking, I tell you what, like, it is rich food, man. Like, it was pretty hard to get yeah. through two sausages, a few dumplings, and some cabbage. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, is, it was so rich. I suppose I put a fair bit of butter in everything too. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's good. It's mm. good fun. Um, anyway, shit. Oh, the other the other good thing that I did make with the cabbage recently is kupu salat. Which is like mm. the traditional. That's what my mum used to call it from the, um, you know, the Balkan, the Balkan style trimming, which is just literally finely shaved cabbage with a bit of olive oil, white vinegar, salt, and heaps of pepper. And that's, that's all oh, pepper. That's lots it. of pepper. Yeah, yeah. And that's mm. it. And and I made that alongside chicken paprikash, and it was just that <laughs> great little acidic acidic hit to. To richness of, of the chicken and the pasta and shit that I had it with. Mm. Um, cabbage, fun, cabbage, cabbage, yeah. cabbage. Get cab- fun to chop cabbage as well. I, I enjoy I enjoy uh, chiffonading or julienning cabbage. Yep, a nice a nice sharp yeah. knife through cabbage is yeah. quite a delight. Yeah, like a knife through cabbage. <laughs> exactly. All right, that's great. Uh, happy days. Get cabbage. Mm. Go and eat at Eleven Madison Park. Uh, mm. Get on the new award and tell us about your experience. Mm. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Simon. No problem. Cheers. See you next time. Peace. Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. 